Welcome to the NoScript web show about modern front-end web design, where we look at what we can build today with minimal dependencies and skills. Today, we're asking ourselves, what is component-based web design? Do we need it? And if we do, how do we get it? My name's Nathan Wrigley, and I'm joined, as always, by David Wormsley. How are you doing, David? Oh, you pointed in the right direction. Yeah, I'm good. And... And, and you're not so good, are you? A little bit deaf in one ear, but I've definitely a little bit deaf in one ear. I've had a I've had a bout of poorliness, but thankfully I'm out the other side and and raring to get into the topic of component based web design. As always, you've put the show notes up. I don't know if you want me to share them on the screen right at the yeah, outset. I think so. So you've broken it up anyway in the beginning there with sort of the the three things. So we've got a well, here's here's the difficulty with components. We say components and it means so many different things to so many different people in different contexts. So we're going to have to oversimplify what we're talking about here. And, um, and we have, we've done it with a few bullet points. If you scroll down for those YouTube watchers, we're really referring to, um, this kind of idea that seemed to arrive, I think, somewhere in the 2010s, hmm. particularly about. 2013, uh, when we got Atomic Design, really influential uh, book by Brad Fost. And also within the same month, we got Facebook's React coming out, which allowed us to kind of do things uh, that we couldn't do before. And it seemed that we were moving to this idea, this epiphany that everybody seemed to share. That's my experience as well with it, where you suddenly thought, Websites are kind of like these apps with these reusable UI bits, components that we build up out of blocks, and we really should do a lot more of that, shouldn't we? That's a sensible way to build instead of doing things the way that we used to do before where we were styling these documents independently. So whatever the HTML you marked up and the content, then you just went about and styled it. What if we just created these little blocks and put them all together, we'll save loads of time and stop repeating ourselves all the time with that. And yeah, Nathan, I mean, my experience, I feel like I went through that myself. That's because when I started with initially with HTML and CSS, it was all about the CSS Zen garden and all of that. It was about styling those documents and then by the time I got into WordPress and then page builders came in, that seemed to be all component-based design. Yeah, I guess the the whole page builder, and I suppose this would be true of WordPress page builders, but also SaaS-based apps, it's funneling you down the idea that the, the whole document is made up of a bunch of individual little components, these little blocks. So I don't know, a, a hero section or a, a little card, which has an image and some text and perhaps a button or something like that. And, you know, you style it once and then you sort of duplicate it and that styling gets transferred over to that new one. And then you duplicate it again and um, maybe turn it into something global so that if you want to use that somewhere else on the website, you can just do that again and change it all in one place. There's so many things that make sense about it because it is quite nice in a project, especially, especially I guess, if you're working with a team, which I never really did, to have that shared understanding of what it is that you're doing. So every time we create this card, it's going to look exactly like that, and there's all of the styling that goes with it. It's encapsulated in that one thing. It's not, it's not the same 
as this other hero section. It's just for that card. It it definitely makes sense. And yeah, you're right. Page builders encourage that way of thinking. And for a yeah. long time, it made perfect sense to me. But you're, I think you're moving away from that a little bit now, back to the, well, air quotes, <laughs> the old way of doing things. The old ways. The old ways are coming back, I think, to a certain degree. They're, they're at least where we thought we were was challenged before. And it, I mean, that's my experience, the page builder side of it. But of course, you know, it made perfect sense, Brad uh, Frost's whole atomic design at the time, you know, and it led to things that we know, bootstrap, um, Google material design, um, all of these kind of things came out of this idea. Of course, that makes sense. And it made sense to me. And I think in the page builder tradition of kind of doing stuff, I realized that you know, all I wanted when I got into page builders was more modules. Give me more stuff, more bricks I can put into my designs. Right. And then, and then it turned over time without knowing any of these debates, just through practice itself, where I came back to the fact, well, actually, most of the time, for most of the work I do, it's about getting this message over, which is mostly text with a few images too. And, and I need to style those and arrange them in the best way. And actually, I'd, I didn't need a slider. I didn't need a little block for frequently asked questions that were dropping down just for one line or something like that. We didn't need to create all those things. So I, I shifted without knowing these debates, but now having looked and I know you looked at, at, uh, Brad Foss's uh, talk, which is a recent one, where is, is atomic design dead? And that's something I, that obviously in our show notes, there is a link to that and it's worth watching because it gives such a sort of whirlwind. Um, historical account of how the technology for designing web pages from a designer's point of view rather than a coder's point of view, doesn't it? And how we've changed to all these different kind of tools over the time and different approaches. It must be really interesting being Brad Frost, though, because obviously you were leading this charge of this component-based, or as he calls it, atomic design. Yeah. And it, it's definitely served his purpose is quite well, you know, he's become a sort of minor celebrity in the web design world. And it, and, but this talk in 2023 is a decade after he launched this idea and gained a lot of yeah. success out of it. And, and yeah. I think, I think his, I think his position is that, you know, it still has utility. He didn't seem to be sort of saying, look, abandon, yeah. abandon yeah. ship, you know, there's no hope here. Um, but it is kind of interesting going back because I'd forgotten a lot of the components that made up his atomic design. And, and broadly, if you're looking at the YouTube video of this, then you can see it on the screen. But if you're not, he sort of encapsulates the, the, the idea of atomic design is, is that everything is made of atoms. And so the sort of smallest part is an atom. And then if you, if you, um, gather up a bunch of, atoms so the smallest parts of the, the 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 dom if you like the page that you can then you get these molecules and then if you gather those molecules together so that's a slightly bigger part and then if you gather those together then you get an organism to be honest with you I, i'm the, the the nomenclature the the wording at this point has lost all meaning for me atoms works molecules works organisms suddenly that doesn't <laughs> work for me because it, it it's it's like got this notion of being alive or something and but it's it's really he's just saying okay it's a bigger thing than a collection of atoms and a collection of molecules and then it steps outside of that biological frame reference and then he talks about you know templates and ultimately pages and it is it's a neat way of encapsulating it and when 
in 2013, everybody was scrabbling around for a way to make design easier. And the web at that point was starting to get complicated. You know, you could, you really were seeing, you know, think of Facebook. There were bits of Facebook which just repeated it itself all over the place. You know, you'd have yeah. hundreds of this thing and hundreds of this thing. Um, yeah. And so it, I guess it made sense to start thinking about it in this way. And maybe it still really does. Maybe it still does work if you're on a giant project and you've got a hundred people working on, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing, and they all need to share that understanding of what that one thing looks like. And what's an easy way to distill it? Well, make it a component, make it so that that's the card. That's what yes. the timeline view looks like. And aspects of the timeline will look like this. And then another one will look just the same. Here's where everything is. Here's the atom. Here's the molecule. Here's the organism and so on and so forth. So I, I guess if you're not you, David, working, you know, freelancer, working by yourself, there's yeah. probably still utility in this, I would have thought. Yeah. And I think the whole thing goes with the development of the app as well. You know, with the, the mobile was bit where there's a slightly different expectation of how an app might work as this sort of recognizable components as opposed to the website and really they're on the continuum in reality and I think we've readjust our thinking there but it comes in with that there was a I wrote down a little example to make sense of the atoms and molecules so an atom might be a button which you would define and then a molecule might be an input field that has right. a button in yep. sort of a form and an organism may be the whole butter that contains <laughs> all of those things they could be in, in, in there and, and it kind of builds up in that way. And I think a lot of it was about working in teams to create this kind of design system, uh, which, you know, we've no experience of that. We were taking customers one at a time working on our own and, you know, we really didn't need to worry too much about the naming of our button because yeah. it was but just I guess, for us. I guess if your team has complete buy-in to this uh, component-based process, and let's say that you go with the atomic way of describing it, so you know, atom, molecule, organism. I can see a, I can see a, a moment where everybody's just got that hardwired in their head, and they all know. Okay, the, the, here's here's the atom, like you say, it might be a button, and and here's the associated molecule, and this is what our organic or organism footer looks like, or hero section, or whatever it may be. Uh, uh, very soon, I can imagine that that just becomes embedded and people start to talk about it and it makes perfect sense. Getting me into that would take, uh, there'd be a lot of onboarding and I'd have to really wrangle uh, my head around it because I, I'm not using those, um, not using those, those terms, but in effect, having used the page builder for years, I am using those terms, but I'm just not giving them the same name. Um, yes. But yeah, so there you go. And I, I mean, I think the importance of something like React at that time, when it, when you got Atomic Design and React coming out, React was this thing that solved this issue because, you know, it's a cascading style sheet. So we were used to defining the look of a page and a document at the top of, you know, most of your rules were created. If you were going for these individual blocks, they had to be encapsulated. And that's really what Facebook React brought which wasn't available. If you wanted to work in teams and you wanted to isolate your button to be a certain style, then you, you could make it a component through React in a way that was difficult to do if you worked in a team with CSS. 
and those people who did still work with CSS had to come up with kind of ways of being able to modulize CSS itself. And that became quite complex. So we got BEM, which is the block mod uh, element modifier uh, way of selecting stuff. And I, I think it's fascinating because what shifted was this, what is often referred to as separation of concerns, where you used to try and, when we were learning HTML and CSS in the first place, I, I came across this term. And it was about separating your HTML document from what was in your CSS. You know, you, you made reference from, you know, you need to put some classes sometimes in your HTML. Although, admittedly, the first, when I went back to HTML, the first site I did, I tried to avoid using any classes to see if I could keep that separation of concern. And I was able to do it with the CSS. I was really. Well, I was able to select nth child of things. Okay, so you way. did it that way. So you were, yeah. in effect, using kind of I think classes. Yeah, but, not, uh, but yeah, yeah uh, they, but they were separated from yeah. the HTML. It wasn't in the document. So there was always that concern about keeping those things separate. And when we shifted to this, um, the separation of concern was keeping the units, the individual, the buttons separate from the input, you know, um, and it's a complete shift, and that's obviously where we get things like BEM in CSS and um, React and all of those libraries come out. But I think we'll move on to the next question we asked ourselves. Do we need it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I made the case just then that it definitely, I think it definitely ha had a moment in time where it, for the for the broadening scope of what the web could do, um, so, you know, web apps and complicated web applications and, um, mobile phone apps and all of that kind of thing. The, um, I, I think it probably really, really useful and probably continues to be useful. Uh, I guess the question really relies on what kind of work it is that you're doing. So do you mm -hmm. need a component based web design? Maybe not. Would a team still need component based web design? Well, I, I can certainly see why it would be handy to have. Um, but do you want to go, should we go through the, uh, the bullet points that you listed? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the sense is still there today, isn't it? Don't repeat yourself. The dry method, you know, that, that is still there, but you know, it's not without problems with going for components for, for one of those is that there are just scores of complex design systems out there, which, you know, you spend more time trying to come up with design systems than you do designing anything, I think is well. <laughs> well, I think that's where Brad was quite apologetic in his <laughs> atomic design about that, because he knows in a lot of organizations, this becomes problematic in itself, doesn't it? Well, um, I wonder how many teams there are out there where, you know, when they onboard somebody new, they have yeah. to teach them their design system, which, you know, it might be popular throughout the world, but each employee might have been using something entirely different when they arrive. And so there's that moment where they've got to be onboarded and taught how it works. And, okay, this is what we do for this. This is what we do for that. And maybe, and then, maybe we lose thousands of hours each year just to that process. Yeah. And I think his job was to, um, to try and explain how you can create your own in-house design system and people could spend more time on that. And. My point on that, I think uh, I've no experience of it, but it feels like it's not very agile. It doesn't mean that you can kind you know, you have to define how your button's going to look for this design system or how you name this. You can't change things as you move along with the project as real, you know, feedback comes in from the site, you know, so you kind of fixed yourself early. So I think that's a problem. 
Oh, and then also, yeah. So you mean not agile in that sense? Not it's not agile uh, amongst the employees. You mean it's not particularly agile to change? Should you discover that certain things need a, a complete overhaul? Okay, all right. I'd miss. I'd yeah. misunderstood that. All right. I, I think just you know you and in a way there's there's great examples of how you can spend a lot of time creating a design system. Then you make a mistake and you replicate that mistake over and over again. And right. A couple of examples of that in material design, they've removed the labels for your inputs and, you know, decided because it looks stylish and then put placeholders above. And there's a great video by Hayden Pickering um, on that one, <laughs> what happened to inputs. But obviously they realized that this is a, a usability problem for people and uh, misusing, you know, how HTML works for their design system, but it looked kind of cool, but because it's Google and it's their material design, lots of people jumped on it. So, you know, the dry, don't repeat yourself can also end up repeating lots of mistakes, which are difficult to correct. And if you spend a long time, you know, you're not very agile, are you? If you define how everybody has to work in putting something together in these blocks, you can't, as I can just change if I want my naming convention in my CSS to change. Right, because you, you've got to find a replace and it's done. Right, yeah. yeah, you've got to notify your team and make sure that not only do the team know it, but they've implemented it across the entire project. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, so that's I can, interesting. I'd misunderstood your point there, but I get it now, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, when you realize you made a mistake on all of your forms, you know, to have to go back over that design system and get everybody on the meeting, you can't, you know, you'd just say, oh, that's a cock-up, and now I'll just change it. Um, but yeah, and, and I think also that the... CSS in JavaScript is also, those frameworks is difficult because effectively you're reinventing the browser most of the time. You're telling the browser how to behave to do CSS. So it's a, there's a lot of complexities with that. And um, that's some of the downsides. Um, what else did I put in here? Yeah, so you could, but obviously that leads to JavaScript burnout, which a lot of people have been experiencing as they kind of have the, you know, work with different frameworks, which keep changing all the time, or feel they have to learn a new framework, which seems to do something a bit better than the last one. Um, yeah, it, must, and it must be fairly demoralizing if, if you are literally, you know, moving from job to job and you're moving from framework to framework and you never coincide with the same framework twice. And yeah. <laughs> just to imagine the, uh, the joy that that would bring. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean. Obviously, stepping out and going back to HTML myself, I mean, I, I very quickly worked out that I didn't want to use things like BEM, which were very popular as a way of sort of modulizing your CSS. And because it just didn't have that separation of concern, suddenly your HTML was full of so many instructions that you needed, so many selectors that affected your uh, CSS. Same with Tailwind, again, which is... Um, being very useful for a lot of people who've been working with component-based design who are JavaScript based developers mostly working with that, it's quite useful for them. But if you stand back for someone like me who could, you know, and has managed to learn enough CSS and HTML to feel confident with sites, you realize that this is just such an overload. It's just so much extra code and no separation of concerns. So it depends who you are, but I can see there's a bit of a, a shift away from the last decade where we were yeah, components. That because it did, didn't it? it? Made perfect sense. Yeah. Is there anything in your recent forays into CSS and um, HTML 
that you have been defeated by? Is there anything that you've wished to achieve or some sort of little stretch goal on a project where you thought that would be a nice thing to implement, where you realized that the only way to achieve that would have been through something like a JavaScript framework, but you just said to yourself, no, forget it. We'll just, we'll pare back the design and we'll do the, the more straightforward thing. Yeah, well, I think you've just led on to the next topic, actually. The last thing we will go cover, which is uh, what are our component options? Because yes, in a way, um, we need it for this site. Um, but yeah, well, I kind of listed out some things here where we now have more options. Once really, if you wanted this component-based design um, to encapsulate something that you were reusing, and in our case, we've needed it, we probably need a podcast player or not. We'll talk about this later. Yeah, that's a component where we'd probably want to be able to take this one component and move it to wherever you needed an audio player without having to reinvent the wheel all the time with it. And before, really, there wasn't much option. You would have to use something like a React library to do something like that, where now we have got some new options. Well, they're not new, but we have what are called web components. Um, do you want to explain that a little bit? Because I think it might be interesting for it. Maybe use the use case of the um, the the uh, what is it even the MP3 player? That's what I'm after. The audio player. Um, yeah, just go into that a little bit. Yeah. So I mean, with web components, really. I mean, it's just using. It's, it actually predates. It goes back to um, 2011. Has <coughs> taken different forms, and it's different. APIs, if you like, but essentially it is just linking your JavaScript to your HTML. So at the simplest level, it's a custom element that you create. So we've actually got a couple of them acting on the site, which I'll do videos on later. Um, so we've actually got the videos going through a web component, which effectively is just within, I borrowed it from somebody else's library. And all it is, is a custom element that says, what was called actually on it, it says like YouTube embed or whatever, and we're putting that in there. And then this JavaScript created by somebody else is acting on this custom element and stopping YouTube from loading all of its things until this um, image has been clicked. And we have another one where it is uh, taken from Dave Rupert, which I haven't shown to anybody yet, but I will do a video on this one, which is a podcast player um, designed around the existing um, audio tag, the element itself, but added on through JavaScript around another custom element called a podcast player. Um, it adds to that and adds in some extra functionality through JavaScript and also the styling that goes with it. And this is kind of what's considered as the shadow DOM because <clears throat> the styling isn't, so it's very portable. We can take that and move it anywhere else. So we have got that option in there. I mean, there's a lot to talk about this because it's kind of done at the end of last year, 2023, there were so many people, if you like, who were standards-based people talking about this and whether they need it, um, that it's gained a lot of attention. And for me, I don't know if I fully understand what we're talking about because so people talk about the shadow DOM which is a way of using JavaScript to add in to your browser some extra slots, if you like, with yeah. functionality in it. And it allows you to encapsulate your CSS, which used to be a problem for everybody before. But it also has a slight issue with it, 
in the sense that, as you saw, I was, I was showing you the demo of the podcast player. When you load the page, there's a, a flash of unstyled content that happens because the JavaScript then has to load the uh, CSS. Um, so there's a lot of people who are just looking towards the light DOM, but effectively when you're talking about light DOM, all you're talking about is putting a custom element. So you create your own. Instead of having a div, you know, between your angle brackets, you put a name. So it could be pod and it has to have a dash player in between that. And you've got your own custom element and you can attach JavaScript or CSS to it, or you can create within that. So that that's kind of the, I think more people are moving that way. I mean, certainly when you look at, it's not the case with React at the moment, but you can through another service, you can convert a lot of the libraries that are created, views library, they've got one as well, and React libraries, they can be converted into um, web components, HTML web components as well. So we're, I think there's a lot of moving that way or moving both directions. So if you are a JavaScript library person who wants to stay with React, I think you can, there's a, there's a bit of a getting back to standards without React being something with JavaScript people being off on an entirely different planet to the web standards people who put JavaScript as the third language, which you need to call upon. So I think there's a, a merging going on and I'm talking too much. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I, I'll probably paraphrase what you've just said in order to mm -hmm. encapsulate my understanding of it as well. But also to say that if you want to see this in action, now I don't know if this will be the correct URL, but the, the, the show notes for this episode will be at noscript.show forward slash five. Um, there'll be an audio player there, or whether it'll be this um, web component version of it is as yet to be decided. But if you, if you see something with, I don't know, a non-standard player, um, then you'll know that David has implemented it on that particular page. But is, so what you're saying is this web component for, let's take the example of the audio player. You, you load in the, the, the audio file in the normal way. The browser takes control and says, okay, I'm going to show it with the default browser, uh, version of an audio player, which is, is pretty uninteresting to look at. But in order mm -hmm. to make that more potentially usable to add in elements, take away elements or just style elements, you've, there's a little bit of JavaScript, which hijacks that and makes it into a web component. So you can make, I don't know, the play button be in the center rather than at the far left. You can make the, uh, the, the, the scrubber that where you find where you want to go in the audio, you can stretch that across the whole element. You can add jump 30 seconds, go back 30 seconds. You know, you can put the speed up, play it two times and all of that. You can, you can style it. You can make it go wherever you want. But a drawback of that is that the JavaScript takes a moment to load. So you get this kind of content, uh, cumulative layout shift problem where you get a flash of the old one, the new one comes in, and it looks nice when it's done, but maybe you're storing up problems in terms of Google and SERP and all that, but I don't know. But is that what you're saying? This is the web component that you've played with here. You've hijacked the audio, the default audio player, and you've just made it look different. But you can imagine that being played out across any aspect of the website. It could be the video, it could be the buttons, it could be anything. I mean, it's obviously, I haven't done it. It's somebody much yeah. cleverer than me, Dave Rupert, who's yeah. actually has created a podcast player for their show, which is Shop Talk, which is excellent. Um, so they created that and I, I've just been able to literally just take their files and do that. And it's on style. So 
if I put the styling on, I have to take the styling and put it in the JavaScript itself and it's loading it through the shadow DOM. But yes, it's creating all of the things that through JavaScript they've added on, which isn't in the default audio. But if somebody turns JavaScript off, the interesting thing is that we're still putting the audio uh, tag within the custom element tags that we've got. And if I turn JavaScript off, the audio player is still there, the default one that's in your browser, and will still play if you turn off your JavaScript. Right. So it's wonderful fallback. Yeah. yeah. So the JavaScript hijacks the the yeah. already loaded audio tag and then just disrupts that and replaces it, what have you. Yeah. You know, rewrites yes. that bit of the DOM um, and inserts it. And you were saying that the, the styling in there, if you don't put any styling inside of that little sh- shadow DOM, it just... It's default styling, is it? Or, or how does it look? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. You have to put this, any styling you want has to be registered within the yeah. JavaScript under yeah. the shadow DOM. Where the light DOM, which is what I'm using for the videos on the learn tab, is just preventing that's light DOM. So they really effectively, it's nothing more, as I understand it, other than putting this custom element that we've put as light YouTube and connecting any JavaScript that you want to do to, to it. So it's no difference for something I did before I even understood about web components. I used to do that with JavaScript. The only difference is now that it's relating to a particular custom element. Right. But I've got my CSS separate to that. So it loads before. So there's no flash. Uh, There's none of that kind of cumulative shifting nonsense or unstyled stuff, which you do get with the shadow DOM. Um, okay. The interesting thing, though, is I think actually we skipped over a couple of things. We should. Yeah, just I was just going to say, should we go back and finish that list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're saying that our options to us, and we'll talk about the the next option, which changes component based. Uh, you know, if you do want component based design, we've got container queries, which came out at the end of last year, supported by all the major browsers, which <clears throat> combined with some other new stuff, does allow us to effectively you know, control the styling. So we, we can set our component up to uh, style itself according to the space available to it. Right. Um, which means that you can move it as a component in and out of other places. And we also have something which really we don't understand, but it's very clever, which is web assembly. Again, this is, this is all standard stuff. This is, um, you know, part of the, Web standards, it's, it's, um, extra to, uh, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And then we've got kind of web assembly components where we can effectively translate through that any other or most other technologies, like might be something made, a program that might be made for making a game can be turned into HTML. So that's probably something we'll never get into, but we'll talk about container queries next week. So. That's caught us up on that, but web components, yeah, is, is interesting because we'll need it. But I think what's, we're in the middle of a debate about this. So shadow DOM was this wonderful way to be able to create components and be standards compliant. So it's going to last as long as your browser lasts, which you can't say the same with something like react. It's going to last as long as react lasts. No. Yeah. Uh, but something that standards will be there while there are browsers, while we have the web. So that's its benefit. But now, you know, the shadow DOM was a way of being able to encapsulate your CSS so you can keep it as a separate module, which you can take and put it in your different project without being affected by the cascade of your page and the stars there. That was a big plus. 
But I think what's throwing everything out now, and it's not here yet fully, and, and that is at scope, which is going to be something you could do with your CSS where you can define which elements you want to style in a particular way and they will be outside of the cascade. So I think we're on, because at scope, I think is supported by Chromium browsers at the moment. So that's not okay. That's all, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 60% of the web, but I think by the end of the year, this will be here. So it does throw um, the big question up at the moment. If you do need these components, the big reason for needing something like Views or React or something like that was if you worked in Teams and you needed to encapsulate your style so you can move those elements into your new design and have them you know, work independently. AppScope really throws the cat among the pigeons there, doesn't it? It kind of says, well, here's another way of being able to achieve that, and it's just within CSS. Do you think that's going to be the beginning of a shift away from a lot of these JavaScript endeavors towards doing it natively in CSS? I mean, I genuinely don't have any intuition on that, but it sounds like it's going to enable you to do a lot of the heavy lifting that the JavaScript, it has been deployed to do. And if that's the case, this is much more, well, I guess, modular, understandable, probably much more readable, certainly um, you know, you don't have to rely on loading a boatload of JavaScript to get it to work if it's already uh, shipped with all the browsers, 60% at the moment. But like you say, by the end of the year, maybe maybe 90-something percent. Yeah, uh, the pendulum's just swing, isn't it? Mm. The, you know, our standards didn't, you know, HTML and CSS didn't give what people wanted when they wanted component-based design. When that mentality of how we design things was there. It just didn't give you what you want, which is why things like React, I think, took off. And which I think led to the split of uh, people who maybe just create, you know, regular static sites of some people who just thought, you only need JavaScript. You don't really need to learn all this other stuff, stick tailwind in there or something like that. And you can sort out the CSS. It's a bit quirky, but we can do that. And these other people who would be in the old style of HTML document style, it, um, Zen garden style. And I think there's a, a move back. The, the problem has been the technology. So I think there'll be a shift back. There'll be perhaps less people who will feel like they, JavaScript is all they need to learn. And more people will say, well, JavaScript as needed, which is kind of my approach with everything. For what I need to do, the CSS and the HTML is there t to achieve almost everything I need. Yeah. With a minimum of for these components where I'll need some JavaScript and somebody else's you know, someone who's cleverer than me put something together that I could insert into my my stuff. But at scope, of course, means that I think the light DOM will be, you know, effectively, at scope takes care of the problem if you, I think, if you need to encapsulate your CSS around certain elements, you can do that within regular CSS or will be able to, I think, before the end of the year. So, yeah. Nice. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a moving feast, isn't it? Or a movable yeah. feast. The whole thing yeah. is definitely moving. But fascinating, you know, um, what what was true ten years ago is becoming untrue now, maybe. And uh, I guess my hope with all of this is that it just becomes much more straightforward to learn because JavaScript has, for the vast majority of all of that, it's been kind of beyond me, and uh, and I'm hoping that a lot of these technologies will bring an easier way to implement that, a more understandable way. And I'm not getting any younger and learning's getting harder. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, well, that's my hope. 
the declarative language are the easiest. The browser already understands. You just tell it what to do. Right. Uh, with the when you get to JavaScript, it's like, well, I'm going to tell you browser what to do. Right. And, yeah. and you take all those responsibilities, and you have to have a mindset which we don't have. I don't think you know. It's you know some people do, but I I do feel as yeah you know, over this period I feel like there's a a coming together in a way of this. It felt like everything went, it was JavaScript first, CSS within it. I, that's shifting back, but there will still be JavaScript developers, but there's that kind of, because I think that integration with web components that they can kind of work or you can move things from one place to the other. You know, if you want to work in one way, you can. But for people like us who generally creating those sort of 80% of websites that small businesses need out there, it's not really a path we need to go down, I don't think. No, no, indeed. I feel like we've covered that particular topic. What do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we've mumbled we, our way through it. Yeah, do we want to Do we want to talk about what's coming up next time? I know you've written yeah. something in the show notes there. Yeah, yeah, it's, well, just, we mentioned it. We'll just have a, a chat a bit further about the same topic, really, but just talking a little bit about um, container queries, because that's new, bit of CSS. And uh, we'll try and do our best to kind of explain where we may or may not want to use it. It's such a big thing, something that we couldn't do. And everybody was very excited about it. But honestly, we'll talk about it next week. But I'm thinking, where will I use it? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, that's for next time. Uh, don't forget, if you want to follow along with what we're doing, the website is being updated episode by episode. Uh, noscript.show is the website. This is episode five. So no script dot show forward slash episode, uh, sorry, not forward slash episode, anything just forward slash five. So no script dot show forward slash five. Um, and we will see you next time. If you watch yeah. this on YouTube, please give us a comment. That would really help. That's really nice to, uh, to hear yeah. what it is that you've got to say. And obviously keep an eye on the, that channel as well, because David will be uh, updating it with his own content in between these episodes. Okay. That's it for now. Thanks, David. I'll, um, yes. I'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.